Hi, welcome to Book of Experts TV. And my question for you today is, is it possible that there's actually something deep down inside of you in your DNA that is your secret superpower that's been hiding all along? Today's guest is actually gonna talk about, yes, that's actually there and there's a process to bring it out. But before we get there, let's introduce you to, oh, I have to move this again. I have to move things around on my screen. It's messing me up with my, here we go. Time for Book of Experts TV. Topics you love. Experts you trust. Friction-free referrals. Tried. Tested. Trusted. This is Book of Experts, brought to you by salesman.me. Welcome, John Hitler, to Book of Experts TV. I'm super excited to have you on because this has been a big couple of weeks for you. Let's get the center screen. You've got a, a new book that's out, and uh, I'm excited to talk to you about it because I've been reading it and just finished in the last couple of days, and um, you've got a story to tell. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, and I'm happy to, happy to share with you. So uh, I want to clarify for folks, uh, John, when I first met him the uh, first time, he said, yes, that is my last name, but with two T's, made a, made a big impression. I think you do that with a lot of folks that they, uh, it's a name you don't hear very much these days. Um, you also don't forget. <laughs> that, that is true. That's that the advantage true. The, whole, the whole world will know that name, but you are, you've carved your own path and uh, that's what we're talking about today. One of the first things when, when you and I connected, John, that really struck me, uh, you were telling me about this process that you've developed around finding this core of, you know, who you are as a person down in your DNA, and it's not a personality test. I want to start there because I think there's a lot of that. Like people get excited when they get named, you know, the integrator, all the different you know, we, there's tons of these tests out there and they, they bucket people into, you know, 16 different buckets and, and you read about these traits, but you're also sharing that with hundreds of thousands of other people that might fit those, answer the questions the same way. What are you doing differently? So it's, it's interesting because the, the theory we took is if it's in your DNA, if you have a genius level talent and it's embedded in your DNA, like your hair color or your, you know, the tone of your skin or your height or your why wouldn't a talent so specific that it's only in your DNA also reside there? We don't try to prove that scientifically. We just take that theory and people say, that, that's an interesting theory. Gosh, I have no idea what mine would be. And what we notice is that people move from, they're usually satisfied with, the one I get all the time is change maker or change agent. It's depending on the test you take. The problem is the way I make change is through collaboration and abundance, but there's a whole process for it. A suicide bomber is also a change maker. Oh, they do it through violence and destruction. Malala is a change maker. She does it through healing. So change maker doesn't help because the label fits for all kinds of people. It's not what I do. It's the label somebody gave me. It's like saying he's tall. I am tall. But that doesn't help to say who I am. It describes me physically and who I am is something other than, if you will, just tall or just redheaded. So we, we uh, have a process that teases it out of people and they actually tell us and they don't realize they're telling us. 
And when we feed it back to them slowly, they, they, a lot of times they cry and they say, how did you know this? I said, I didn't know it. <laughs> you just told me because we don't know our candidates when we get them. The process is a, a way of viewing themselves through a unique singular gift of genius talent that they've never been able to figure out. So it's a fun process. And, uh, well, that, that's one of the things I really liked about the book. Uh, you know, I, I read a lot, particularly in the nonfiction space because of the work I do. This mm -hmm. book is a process. Yes. Uh, and, and I know there's a couple different tracks. We can talk about that as well. But the book is really, it, it has a companion website, which is full of the resources to facilitate and enable this process because it is deep work. This is not this is not a, a ten minute exercise, and you walk away with something superficial. No. Uh, if it's if you've been living with this inside of you your whole life, and you can reach down and sort of grab the hooks uh, that that have been there through your out throughout your whole life, you're gonna have to do some work to get there. But the benefit is once you own this genius, this superpower that's inside of you, it's you're on you, your life changes, right? You're in a different whole different orbit. Yeah, it's an interesting concept to think of talent instead of profession. So most people say your genius talent is good for your profession. It absolutely is. But let's say uh, you have a talent that revolves around or is focused on empathy, high empathy. You could do almost any profession if, in your, in your case, if it's empathetic, with through the... Uh, methodology and the theme of empathy as opposed to, let's say you're an accountant. Most people would think of them as analytical, organized, uh, good with numbers. They don't think in terms of empathy. Could you be a fantastic accountant from the vantage point of empathy? Yes, if you knew that empathy was your, you could redesign how you be an accountant as opposed to saying, well, I'm, uh, I have people telling me this all the time. They say, well, I'm an accountant. I'm brilliant with numbers. It's a helpful skill, but you can learn to be good, really good with numbers. You or I could be really good with numbers. It's not a natural skill. It's something that we practice long enough that we're, we could be a good accountant. We can't um, learn or acquire empathy as easily. It's If it's embedded in you, oh, why not, why not do your profession? Why not do your parenting? Why not do your, be a friend? I mean, we have empathetic friends and then we have people that are more functional, like they show up on a Saturday morning with a pickup truck and a dozen donuts on moving day. That's not empathetic. That's helpful. Oh, the empathetic one is the one that you can call at midnight. And not only do they welcome your call, they stay on the phone with you for two hours to talk you off a cliff. Good. Be that friend because that's what you're naturally gifted at. But you have to figure that out. And most people don't. Yeah, I think that's one of my big criticisms of the personality tests is that for me, they feel situational mm -hmm. and, and it feels like in one, in one case with family and friends, I exhibit these traits and their strengths and weaknesses. This isn't a value judgment, but in work or, or uh, volunteer settings, you know, I, I'm completely different or, or show a different side of myself. So the personality tests always felt like, um, just not quite on target for me. And I, and I like the, I like the way that you've carried in the book, this process of looking, you know, at who you were as a child and in sort not, not at a cognitive or conceptual level, but going a little bit deeper into the, the feeling portion with an output being, you can tap into energy this way. 
sort of, sort of like how introverted people are able to re-energize by going and getting a little bit of quiet time to themselves. Right. You know, extroverts need to, you know, socialize and, and joke and have fun with others to, to power up. And you've talked about that, which I think makes sense because it, it is more than just work and hobby and, you know, it cross, crosses all parts of our lives. Well, it's, it's funny because my wife and I, my wife is very um, courageous. That's an attribute she has that she probably learned. Uh, my genius talent is creating seemingly impossible outcomes. That's the very short version, which you don't find on a standardized test one. But when we met, uh, she's super courageous and kind of bold, and I create seemingly impossible outcomes. What we decided to do as a couple, because it was a good fit for the two of us, we uh, started working in domestic violence shelters and human, uh, the sex trades, like intervening in the problem of human slavery. It's not work for the faint-hearted. But I couldn't do volunteer work where I went to a food bank and packed boxes. I could, but it wasn't a very good fit. It was too routine, too safe, too boring. And the, the strong way to say it, it was an insult to, who my, to what my talents were to be doing that. I wasn't being utilized very well. And we do really, we have a very high success rate compared to the other trained volunteers and they can't figure out why. And I can't tell them, but I sense and respond to any situation and I can turn it into a seemingly impossible result. And they go, would you train us how to do that? I say, do what? I can't, I can't, it's every situation is customized and they're trying to teach a linear process for intervening. So they have one in 10 or one in 12 success and we have one in three. Oh, we're really good at, but it's because it's not because we're better in the human trafficking trade. It's we're working with our innate talents that are kind of unteachable. Great. So it's a perfect fit. We, we redesigned our volunteering to take advantage of our talents instead of saying, here's a job, here's a volunteer opportunity. Let's go do that. Sometimes we do. Um, you know, when they need a hands-on, all hands on deck sort of thing, and you just show up, let, let's say you show up at a, at a park or a school and help paint the school, I'm happy to do that. But that's not a seemingly impossible outcome. That's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's labor. It's fine. And it's valued. It's just not the best use of my volunteer time. So even that stuff, we customize. Can we, can we take a moment to talk? Because you have spoken from the stage. Uh, I know you're, you're a professional speaker as well, but the TEDx stage, and you told this story. And I think that there is a parallel of you, your family, and this mission that has developed. You, you just cited it. I, I think folks would love to hear a little bit more uh, about the work you've been doing and why and how that developed out of this really lifelong, we're all trying to understand who we are and why we're here. But I think this this book has become your opus in that sense, right? This way, get it on the camera. That, yeah, that one. <laughs> uh, so specifically, uh, you're referencing the work in Russia? Yes, yeah, so I was thinking of the the nonprofit, and because that you 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 told that story in the TEDx video yeah. that that I've seen, and I think folks wanting to understand how that how that plays with what you're describing here. You, you've mentioned impossible tasks, but if we can flesh that out a little bit, sure. So we adopted a child in Russia, and in Ru the law was you can't separate siblings. It's run by the Russian mafia. So what they did was they didn't tell, they showed us some kids who had siblings and said, if you take, if you take him, you got to take his sister. 
Okay, so we would pass because we already had four kids. Well, the kid we adopted, once we were signing the final papers and there's no rescission, he's an orphan. One of the people through a translator said, that's so great for Sasha. Are you going to take his brother and sister too? And we kind of went, excuse me? Uh, and that opened our eyes to the fact that there are just enormous numbers. This was shortly after the fall of the Soviet Union. That, uh, that was an, a seminal event that created a ton of orphans because the parents literally couldn't feed them anymore. So they would drop them off in an orphanage and they basically, they're, they're there to rot. And then they're released at 16 to the streets. And we kind of looked at it and said, surely we could make a dent in that. Uh, we had no idea how that would work. We had, to, we had to negotiate with the Russian mafia at gunpoint. We had to start a foundation legally. We were the first um, foreign charity in Russia post 9-11 because any foreign charity, they think you're funneling money to terrorists, even in Russia, so that the, the approval rate's almost impossible. Well, we, we got it approved, we started doing work, and we started sponsoring kids from 16 on to give them a chance to get a real education or a skill. Uh, most of them went to like a hairdressing school or, or they became a plumber or an electrician, but at 16, having grown up in an orphanage, they had no capacity to then be on their own, finding a place to live, and, and they send you out of the orphanage with zero. So we said, we can do better than that. And uh, the funny thing is we called it, I didn't know, I knew my genius town, but I didn't know it as well. And people, uh, the word people use is miracle, which I'm very uncomfortable with. Seemingly impossible, I'm okay. But we called it miracle kids because the kids were the miracle. You say the fact that they even made it to 16 and now they're gonna be productive members of society and have a life that they couldn't have had. We thought, well, we're humbled and honored to participate with them. But I would go back once a year, I'd visit the kids and uh, we just, it was 40 bucks a month per kid. It wasn't financially difficult. It was just somebody had to step forward and say, we can do better. And the Russian government wasn't gonna do it. And the society, the culture there doesn't support that. So uh, we stepped in and loved it, absolutely loved it. And it was hard and it was rewarding and it was, it had a big payoff, so. Where were you at personally in that process of understanding this part of who you are, the, the DNA of John Hitler, what did you know this when you entered this challenge? Oh yeah, no, no, I knew it. Um, I have greater depth since then, as par partly for having that on. You know, it's like how do you how do you negotiate with the Russian mafia when you know you cannot go to the people that are sponsoring you, um, sending donations, and say, "Oh, Tobin, thanks for sending us a thousand bucks, but just so you know, the mafia wants two hundred and fifty of it because that's the blood money we have to pay them." So my promise to the, the donors was every penny goes to the actual kids. And that's what we did. I paid all my own personal expenses when I flew over there and stuff like that. But we had it for four years. We had to negotiate. And one of the things we did, uh, quick story, we would, we would, uh, what I decided to do was uh, I went to a local trophy shop where we live. And these days, all the Cyrillics and the inscribing is done by a computer. So you can do it in any language. So what we decided to do in a hierarchical system, like the mafia, we were in an outpost, we were in a small town. You have to earn your, your way to get to, eventually you want to work your way into Moscow. Well, so what I would do is I'd, 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 I'd recruit the local media, the mayor of this little town, and we'd hold a big ceremony with cameras on 
basically local news. And we do a big uh, thing and we give them an award, which was basically an $8 plaque that said humanitarian of the year or whatnot, because they're businessmen. They need to keep up their image in the, when they're basically thugs. So we'd do a big long speech in Russian. I'd do a speech in English and I would say, you guys, I want to spit on your grave. You're disgusting for taking money to, to because from orphans. I would say that in English because nobody understood what I was saying. And then my translator would give me a dirty look and she'd get up there and say in Russian, oh, without your support and guidance, we couldn't do this. But for four years, we did that and didn't pay them a dime. And people said, but now they think of it as creative. And you say, no, we needed a seemingly, how do you deal with the mafia? They have guns, you're in their country and they want to steal your money. Oh, uh, and I have a promise to you, the donor, that none of your money will go to the mafia. You have to figure that out. And it's, it's for me, that's very fun and creative. And I'm, um, I'm devious enough to go, I would give the same speech every year. Now, maybe, maybe somebody translated it. Like somebody there in the mafia said, I speak enough English. He's trashing us. <laughs> I didn't really care. Uh, I knew they weren't going to shoot me because if they shot me, they wouldn't get paid either. But for four years, we, we did a really good job of every year was a different trophy, but it was basically the same thing. And after four years, they finally said, uh, literally, the guy had broken English. No more bowling trophies. <laughs> uh, oh, we got to do a pivot here. They're not falling for this. Anymore. <laughs> they figured it out. <laughs> That's okay. One of the key words that I've heard you use several times, and I know this is part of your genius yeah. talent statement, is is impossible. I, I want to come back to that word in a moment because sure. we're going to look at this through the different lens of, of the, the work, the service that you provide um, in evoking genius as sure. a business. But before we do that, I want to talk about the process for a second because I know there's the book, which we've talked about, and this is really the starting point for folks, right? You're not very good at um, like getting this centered on my screen. There we go. Okay. One in a billion. And I want to point out to folks the the one in the billion that, that John has made this like a treasure hunt to find this on Amazon. So if you go type in one in a billion, you're not going to find this book. He's going to make it harder than that for you. You've got to type in John Hitler with two T's and you will find it that one. Yeah. That was, my, that was my publisher's idea. And I thought, great idea. I didn't <laughs> think it would screw up the Amazon search. Oh, wow. Well, it's it's a book worth buying again because there's it's more than the reading and the conceptual experience uh, of it. It's it, you're going deeper than that. But sure. uh, tell tell our listeners a little bit about. Um, there's different ways to arrive at this uh, uncovering your hidden superpower, your your genius yeah. talent inside. Can you talk about the different pathways? Sure. The two ways, uh, actually I have three, but the two basic ways, there's a DIY or a, a self, self-discovery. The trick is, and you have to know this, you cannot do it by yourself. And if you think about it for a second, if you could do it by yourself, everyone would have already done it. They would have said, oh, there's a formula, or I ask these three questions, or I think about, and I get this all the time. People say, well, I'll think about that. I'll think, you know, I got to think about that. Theory we have had about that is, if it's a genius level talent, the blind spot for most people is they do something so darn well. And what they don't realize is the rest of the world doesn't. It's coming kind of here. And what we really do in the process is we just pull it out about 18 inches. So now you can see it clear as day. And I say, oh, that. 
and they we tease it out and they go, you're right, I am really good at that. But they've never considered or honored it. You can't do that by yourself because if you could, you would have already done it. So it's a, you have to do it with other people. There's a free version which we team you with two other learning partners and you discover it in a threesome. We call it a commando squad. And, and for some people they say, I'd rather do it privately and faster. And we do a one-on-one -on -one coach session. We have coaches that do this, myself is one of them. And it's that's two and a half hours, one phone call or one video call and you get it all at one time. Either way, you get the same result. The talent doesn't change. It's just the process is different. So uh, it's, it's, it actually is the same. It is the same process. It's uh, three on one is slower than coached with a with a guide that really knows what they're doing. Um, so those are the two basic ways to do it. I, I love that concept of that it has to be mirrored back. That we've taken yeah. it for granted, probably lived with it our whole lives, and it, and as you said, it it comes naturally so much so that we've overlooked it as that genius or 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 superpower. Yep. And it's only through the reflection of others that we're able to see it in a new light. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we get a lot of people that say it's they want a psychological basis for it. Our theory is, let's say you're a marksman, like you can hit a bullseye from a thousand feet. We could wake you from a dead sleep, give you a rifle and you could hit it from a thousand feet, even though you're kind of sleepy. We could get you on a bad day. We could get you on a good day. Your talent doesn't change. Your mood changes. Your psychological state may change. Your talent doesn't. So we we discount. We don't have a problem with psychology. We just say psychology has nothing to do with it. It's it's a talent. You can do it in any situation with um, with ease, and there's no way that you could. There's no ceiling. You can get better and better and better. Um, because it's natural and it's who you are as opposed to learning to do numbers and becoming accountant. There's a cap and you could be really good, but it's not, not necessarily, you, were, you weren't necessarily born with uh, accounting skills. Uh, you learn that. Um, so so the, the book, I'm going to, I want to use this phrase and you correct me if I'm off, but off target, but it sounds really like the book is an owner's manual for the process. You have the facilitation tools on the website that make it easier. There's videos to guide people if they're doing the commando uh, squad, or they can connect with the coaches who can, they're trained to facilitate and expedite the process. Yeah. We, we call it a chemistry, you know, you take high school chemistry, there's the textbook. But really where you learn chemistry is when you get in the lab. Mm -hmm. You start pouring things together and they smoke and they bubble and they burn. You take it out of the realm of a linear or a, a thinking process and you actually go in and blow things up in the lab. That's where chemistry can be fun or also daunting. Uh, same thing. You can read the book. You won't, you won't get your genius talent by reading it. You'll learn the process. It'll help you a little bit, like it prepare you. But you, it's not one where you, by the end you say, oh, now I know my genius talent because you can't, number one rule, you can't do it by yourself. So well, we've tried and tried, but you can't. How are your participants using the genius talent statement? Because uh, the book, there, there's a number of them in the book. So you get to see examples of what the output is for, for others that have been through this process. How are they then taking that understanding knowledge in, in even the statement it, itself, how are they using that in their life, their work? How does it sort of spill over? 
Sure. So one of the things we do afterwards, we follow up to say, would you like to play a little? And we use the word play because now you're in your genius town. It's all play. Would you like to play a little bit and redesign a lot of what you're doing? And it's funny because you'd think you'd say, oh, I'm just going to do stuff in my genius talent. That's actually not the way it works. The first thing we do is say, what is the polar opposite that you're still doing? And that could be anything from uh, grocery shopping and a cooking dinner. If you're not, if that's not play for you and it just is like a chore and it's drudgery, you can hire that out. And you can probably hire it out for about what you're paying right now. And you say, why are you, why are you doing that if, if that's not a natural thing for you to do? And other people say, oh my God, it's creative and I love it. And I, pre I play in the kitchen. I experiment. It's a good fit. But what we'll do is we'll say, what are the things that drain your energy most? Chances are on an energetic model, there are things you're not very, very gifted at. And you're doing them out of a sense of responsibility, finances, or obligation. Not a great fit. We say, let's figure out how to drop all that. Because one, it's, until you drop all that stuff that drains a ton of your energy, you don't have the possibility to play at the top of the funnel where everything you do is a natural fit. So we, we do defense first. We get rid of stuff. And then we say, great. So now let's look at your career. Rarely are people in the wrong company or the wrong job. They're approaching it. You know, how many different ways are there to be a seventh grade teacher? As many, as, as many different ways as there are human beings. The truth is you have a specific way where you're gonna be the best teacher in the school, but certainly the best teacher you can be. But if you're doing it based on a training course, the, what do they call it? Uh, a teacher, um, teacher enhancement day where they come and teach you a process that is foreign to how you view the world and work, you doing that taught process is gonna shut you down. Uh, so we, we encourage people to say, how do you redo what you or re, reconfigure what you do so you take full advantage of your genius talent? And they love that piece because you don't have to quit your job. You don't have to leave your team. And all of a sudden, two things happen. They love their work more. They're further engaged. And mostly they get they, they make more money. They get pay raises within a year. And they say, it's my biggest pay raise ever. I said, yeah, because you're making you're making a bigger contribution now. And they recognize it. They go, what happened to that guy? I don't know. He's really kicked it into gear after 20 years. He's really kicked it into gear. Most of these having fun now. Now work is play. So. I, I really like that insight about the the flow of energy being the key test here because you know you you in the book there's a point where you talk about hobbies that we pick up yeah. and and we may not be a natural like I've been trying to learn how to play ukulele. I can tell oh, yeah. you I'm not a genius at ukulele. <laughs> it's pretty pretty darn slow and rough uh, treading for me. But it's something that allows me to get away, and, and it is energy energizing me. So um, I like that. Follow the energy. If I can be clear, your concerts are free and excruciating. <laughs> and guarantee. I want to make sure we get the marketing right for that. <laughs> Tonight only live at Starbucks. <laughs> That's right. Mostly in the dark with nobody around. So. <laughs> yeah. But we do have that. You know, gar people say, "Oh, I got to spend all Saturday in the garden," and I think. That's manual labor. Why would you do want to do that? And for them, it's relaxate. Are they master gardeners? No, it's just meditative. I get it. Uh, you don't have, and that's a different category. It's not about talent. It's about energy. That's also about energy. And that's why we have, we call them hobbies. We don't have to ever be a master. We just enjoy it.
And I think this is a difference going back to the uh, starting point of how this is different from some of the personality uh, tests and spectrums out there, because usually the promise of those is you will understand the world of people around you better. You, you will be able to interact with them more easily because you'll understand yourself and where they're coming from and be able to find that fit. But they're not usually talking about what is going to energize you and sort of no. raise your level. No, no, they're not. And they're also saying, to go back to change agent, change agent at a nuclear power plant is not a good idea. You don't change things. You don't mess around. Change agent in a in a startup is good because you're going to have to pivot. Uh, so, you know, the fact that you're a change agent is a detriment in certain certain places. So it might explain a little bit why you're always in trouble at the nuclear power plant because you're innovating and experimenting and they're going, no, you don't mess around in a nuclear power plant. You, you, could, you could create Chernobyl. You don't do that. So where does it fit? Um, but that's, it's not so helpful that you have a label. It's much more helpful that you have the specific talent that you do and then they say, where in the nuclear power plant would you fit, if at all? Good. Then we find that role for you and you migrate to that role and they'll love you and you'll love what you do instead of being um, checking the same box 40 times a day because that's your quality control methodology at the nuclear. It's just not energetically. It'll drain drain you. John, I want to bring this, uh, we're, we're running up on the end of our time. I want to bring this home. You, uh, in the work that you're doing, outside of being an author, outside of being a speaker, you have several books written, and I know a couple in development as well, uh, but you're you're working with CEOs as, a, as an advisor in the C-suite level. Um, you are a seven-time, which I think qualifies you to be a serial entrepreneur. So you've actually- oh, nine, nine times. Oh, nine times, okay. I failed seven. nine times, yeah. almost double digits now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so t tell us a little bit about the, this mission of impossible and how it, how it's carried over into the work that you're doing with um, advising CEOs. No, it's, it's, it's a great question. Cause uh, I talk with coaches all the time. What I find is they promote their certifications. So they take a three day course or they take a six month course or whatever, and that's what they're selling. So they're selling their process and I, I, I've never, I've never had a certification. <laughs> I, I, I just don't, but my, but my genius talent works great in coaching because I work with CEOs, all of whom have essentially some version of an impossible um, task, which is usually looks like a liquidity event or you need to double sales or something that's really, really hard. And they need a partner to help them make that fun play and engage everyone, I can't not do that. So I work really well with that. I work terribly with uh, the classic is I get a 28 year old whose parents can't get him to move out of the basement. He's got a master's degree and he, all he does is play video games and doesn't work. And they say, could you coach him to get a job? He's really smart and he's just, and I go, no, that's accountability coaching. It's, it's essentially babysitting. I'm terrible at that because the one who needs coaching are the parents. You say, you know how to get them to move out or get a job? Charge them market rent for the basement. <laughs> and, and what the parents are usually doing is actually giving him a stipend every month until he gets a job. You go, well, why would you ever move out? Three hots, a cot, you're doing his laundry and you and you pay him. It's, it's crazy. Uh, I'm no good at that. 
I'm good when the company and or and she's usually the CEO has an impossible task or ask. And they signed up for that. They usually took a pay cut to leave a, a Google or a Facebook to take a job as the a first time CEO. Enormous pressure. And if it goes public or if there's a liquidity event, they're going to make a fortune. So it's it's enticing for them to play. And if they fail, essentially what they've done is waste through any of them wasted, but they've spent three years of their life. Their VC cuts off their funding and says, sorry, we're pulling the plug on this. I don't think you're ever going to hit them, hit the mark. And so their first and only role as a CEO, they basically took a pay. Now their spouse is mad at them because they say, wait, you were at X and now you, you ended up at half X with this salary based on all this money we're going to make when you went public. Everybody's all over their case. It's an impossible ask. Perfect. Perfect fit for me. So I work really well in those areas and those are the, those are the clients I take. Folks that may find it hard to talk to their advisory board or their board of directors, um, hard to talk to your team if you're in one of those impossible situations because they're looking for you to you know keep things up and you know you maybe even on the home front. Uh, so it's it's really you know being able to I imagine step into that situation and be that that ear and mentor and guidance uh, for someone that's facing it on all fronts. Well, think about it. If you're the CEO and you're nervous about revenue, pace of revenue growth, you can't really talk internally to your team because if they think that you're nervous about it, you set out a panic in the organization and now you've not demotivated, but you disengage people because they say, oh, he might even do layoffs. He might cut it if we're not. So you can't talk to anybody inside of the team. That's, that's why I do CEO advising. I say you need a separate person outside of your organization who's safe and confidential. We'll figure it out, but we'll figure it out that you show up as the leader and in your best um, mode instead of going, guys, we're not hitting our numbers. What the hell? Because now you're either browbeating, inciting fear or both not good for your long-term prospects of going public. Uh, what if your VP of sales takes that as I should start floating my resume because I don't think I'm going to be, I think he might fire me. They make that up in their head and they do it based on you having a conversation with them about, I'm worried about second quarter sales. You, you can't really talk in, in inside of the organization. Lab. So that's, that's a perfect fit. It's, it's the reason to have an outside advisor. So it's, it's safe. It's confidential. And I, I, I've been in all those, those situations too. I've had to call the investors and say, we're going to close up shop. And I apologize that your, your investment in us didn't, didn't have any return. That's not a fun call to make, but I've been there seven times. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> time the investor was my wife and myself. So I got to go back home and say, yeah, we lost the 500,000 we put into that. It's just not going to work. Oh, not an easy conversation to have. I think that's one of the things that that your clients uh, must appreciate about you is that you have walked the walk uh, as a multi-time uh, entrepreneur yourself, which earns some street cred with with folks. Like you said, it's a little bit different just than just a coaching designation. What I appreciate about you, John, is one your sense of humor. You're you're a wonderful storyteller, and appreciate you taking a little bit of time to to share the book launch. I know it just came out. It's maybe two weeks. How how long? It's not very long that it's been out. May 12th, I think, was the former for, uh, formal launch. Um, yeah. We postponed it for a month because of COVID. We had to make that call like March 1st, and we did. We, we said, let's hold it off for, for 
The other piece that might be helpful too is if you believe in past lives, uh, I suspect I, I might've written part of the Bible and the tale of two cities and, um, and Gulliver's travels, but I can't reference those because some people don't believe in that, but, um, you can mention those. So maybe I really wrote more books than I did. I just, just in a different lifetime. Well, you, I know you have more work coming, so we're excited to see that as well. John, I appreciate you taking the time. We're going to, we're going to hit the outro. And, uh, again, thanks, uh, folks. You can find John, uh, Hitler with two T's on bookofexperts.com in, uh, in the, show notes, I actually have a link. So it'll take you right there and you can see a little bit more about the work that he's doing with his CEO clients. Thanks everyone. Thanks.